You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Today we're going to look at the concept of wisdom and what it looks like to live out our lives in wisdom, specifically uh, wisdom uh, that leads us under the control of the Holy Spirit, and then how being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, being filled by the Holy Spirit, how that leads to a direct impact in the lives of those around us and the ways that we interact with people around us, okay? So we're going to pick up in um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, uh, and it says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our summary sentence for today, Christians use their time wisely by pursuing a deeper knowledge of God's will in order to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, made evident by worshipful singing, ongoing thanksgiving, and humble submission to others. Christians use their time wisely, which is kind of the the thing that this passage starts off with, this command or commission to uh, use our time wisely, to make the best use of the time. So Christians use their time wisely by pursuing a deeper knowledge of God's will in order to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see how those two things go together. Uh, Being in the Word, being under God's will, leads to us being controlled or filled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, And we can see whether or not we're filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, because being filled with the Holy Spirit is made evident by worshipful singing, ongoing thanksgiving, and humble submission to others. For our kids, Christians are to be under the control of the Holy Spirit by spending time in the Word. I told you that over the past couple of weeks we've talked about different ways that we imitate our Father. We do so by love. We walk in love. We remain motivated to do so by reflecting upon the love shown to us by the Father. So we're called to love others because we've been shown great love by our Father. Uh, we're to walk in purity. We're to avoid immorality, even being mentioned uh, with your name by reflecting on the coming judgment. All right. So we're supposed to be so separated from the darkness of sexual immorality that there's not even a hint of that tied to us. Uh, I had to address some kids at, at Trinity this week, and we came back to this verse because there was a, a cry of innocence, a cry of um, uh, that wasn't the intent or that wasn't the purpose of what I was doing. And, and I've recently taught on this in, in chapel, and I came back to this fact. I said, here's the thing. You should be so far from this that it can't even be named amongst you. Right? Like it, it can't even be assumed that you possibly meant this. We're to be so separated from it. We're to imitate him in light. The intimacy of the relationships that we have on this earth should be shaped by our desire to walk in light, to separate from darkness, but not just to separate from it. We talked last week about exposing it or dispelling it so that there is uh, a, a reduction of darkness. Right? We're bringing the darkness into the light. Um, so we talked about last week determining what's pleasing to the Lord. Uh, Seeking to do those things that are good, right, and true. We we labeled that the ethics of light, as we saw last week in our passage. And then taking no part in darkness, but really trying to expose it. Not judging it, but really trying to expose it with the goal of seeing it changed and brought to the light, just like we were in darkness 
and we were brought to the light as well. So that leads us to verse 15 today. This idea of looking carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Our first point this morning is to be careful to walk wisely. Be careful to walk wisely. Think about some of the things in our life that we do give great care and attention to. Things that we're asked to do or things that we're expected to do and the type of care and attention that we give to certain things in our life. Right? You may have a project at work uh, that you're supposed to do, something that you're supposed to deliver to your boss, and so you're going to give great time, care, and attention to making sure that that is done well. Uh, you may even sacrifice things that you would prefer to do, things that you would rather do, because there's going to be great care and attention given to doing that thing, uh, to carrying it out, to being, and that's the wise thing to do as an employer of that boss, right? To, to do so with excellence, to do it to the best of your ability. The question I think that Paul would ask us is, are we giving that same type of care, that same type of attention to our spiritual walk? Are we looking carefully at how we walk? Are we assessing the path that we're on and the, the progression that we're making in our sanctification? Are we satisfied? Are we pleased with the direction that our life is taking right now? Are we seeing spiritual progress? Are we seeing uh, the things of this world growing strangely dim to us? Are we seeing uh, spiritual things becoming more and more important? Are we giving the same type of care to our spiritual walk that we give to other things in our life? Are we willing to make the best use of our time? Are we careful with how we use our time? Are we intentional with how we use our time? Um, while I was coaching with the varsity team, I'm coaching with the middle school football team now, but when I was on the varsity team, one of the things that I appreciate so much about how the head coach at Trinity handles practice is that he uh, is very intentional to use every minute of practice for a specific purpose. So if you're coaching with the varsity team, you get a script before practice, really in advance before practice, uh, so it's not even just a day of, but you get it in advance, and it's broken down in five-minute segments. So their practices are, I don't even know what they are now, like two, two and a half hours probably. But if you get a sheet, you see what every five minutes looks like. I mean, they are, they are very intentional to use their time wisely. They want to maximize every minute that they have those boys on the field. And so you kind of see it broken down. This is what we're doing for these five minutes, these five minutes, these five minutes. Very intentional so that no time is wasted, and that's the idea that Paul has for us here. He says, look carefully how you walk, make the best use of your time, because the days are evil. And so there's this idea of wisdom, this idea of exercising wisdom that I want us to take a look at first. Number one, wisdom is shown in how we proactively prioritize our time. Wisdom is shown in how we proactively prioritize our time. We're going to read several passages from Proverbs this morning. And if you've ever read through Proverbs, you know that Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom, and it talks a lot about foolishness, and it talks about a lot of what it looks like to be a wise individual and what it looks like to be a fool. And what we find in Scripture is that fools waste their time. Uh, it's foolish to waste your time. Uh, it's a life skill to use your time wisely. It's something that we're always talking with our middle schoolers about, right? They, they, they have a football game or a or a, a, a soccer game or a cross-country meet that night. Um, and they also have homework they have to complete. 
And so we'll talk to them about, hey, are you using your study hall time to get your homework done? Are you using it to socialize? Realizing the fact that, hey, I'm not going to have time tonight to do my homework because I've got an event or an activity that I'm a part of. Using your time wisely, being proactive to think through how to use your time. That's the idea that's going on here, uh, but not just in the mundane things of life, but really from the perspective of spiritual things. Making the best use of our time spiritually because the days are evil. You may have heard the, the resolutions that Jonathan Edwards developed for his own personal life. One of those is that he resolved never to lose one amount, of, one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. We need to be wise in the handling of our time because the days are evil. He says, you've got to be intentional about using your time wisely because the days are evil. What does he mean by that? I think what he's reminding us that is if left unattended, our time will be unproductive. Right? Um, there's been there's been times where uh, you know we didn't maybe have anything to do on a Saturday at the house, right? Um, and we didn't make any intentional plans to do anything either. And then you kind of get to the end of the day and you're just like, man, like the day's over. Like I didn't get anything done. Right? I didn't have any intentional plans to get anything done. And what do you know? Nothing got done, right? Um, when we're intentional with our with our planning, when we're intentional with our time. Then it, then it lends itself towards productivity. But if not, because the days are evil, if left unattended, our time will be unproductive. This is true about really anything in our life, if you think about it. Things that are left unattended typically deteriorate and degenerate towards either evil or the results of sin, right? You don't take care of your yard, uh, your grass grows, your weeds populate, and your, and your front yard looks terrible, right? we got to notice that our HOA is going to have a guy that starts patrolling our neighborhood looking for type of thing, right? And I was just like, wonderful. Like, that's just what I need right now. It's somebody to meticulously look at to see how I'm taking care of my trash can and my recycle bin. And, um, but if left unattended, and if our neighborhood leaves those things unattended, then everybody's property value would, would go down, right? Because we typically uh, don't value those things. They get left unattended, and they trend towards evil, right? Um, our bodies, our cars, if we don't take care of them, they trend towards unhealthy status, right? And so that's the reminder that Paul's given us here. He says, you've got to be intentional with your time because if your time is unchecked, it will lend itself towards unproductivity. Uh, it'll lend itself potentially even towards evil things, the things that we're told to avoid earlier in this chapter. Use your time to walk with those who are wise and avoid those who would be deemed fools. He's talking about being wise and being unwise. The Bible would tell us that we can trend towards wisdom by spending time with people who are wise and avoiding those who are not. I told you I wanted to read to you several passages from Proverbs. We'll start in Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Companion of fools will suffer harm. Right? The idea there is don't hang out with fools. Don't hang out with the unwise. Um, I have to bite my tongue sometimes when I'm talking with kids in my office uh, because I want to identify some of the kids that are hanging out with as fools. And, and that's not fair to uh, the parents of those children that I haven't had conversations with. Right? So 
we just kind of talk in general terms. Hey, uh, you might want to choose your, your company wisely. You might want to spend time with the type of people that you want to become like. If that's who you're currently hanging out with, by all means, continue to hang out with them because you will become like them. Uh, they were in my office yesterday. That's why you're in my office today, right? Um, the idea here is don't spend time with fools, right? Don't spend time with the unwise. Put yourself around people who exercise wisdom. Learn from them so that you too become wise in how you handle your time. Use your time to ask for wisdom from above. Right? We studied uh, in our D groups James chapter 1, and we talked about in verse 5 what it looks like to pray and to ask for wisdom. But there are other passages that promise when we ask for wisdom that God will deliver as well. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the path of uprightness, who walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, and who are devious in their weak in their ways. He says, you can you can escape these things, these things that we've just previously talked about, right? The the coarse joking, the, the, the sexual temptations. We can escape these things by crying out for wisdom, asking for wisdom, trusting that God will give us wisdom, give us the discretion, give us the understanding to use our time wisely, to make good choices, to make good decisions, to be on the right path of walking as light. Use your time to seek counsel from the wise, not just spending time with wise people, but asking them for wisdom when you lack it. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I have this verse printed on the top of my play calling sheet uh, ever since I was with the varsity at the offensive it's a reminder to me that when I'm dialed in as a coach and I'm calling the plays and I think that I know what's best for our team, that there's assistant coaches that can help, right? And I would be foolish to think that I'm always right in my own eyes, that I need to be able to listen to the counsel and to the advice of others. A wise man listens to advice, right? A wise man listens to advice. So we can ask for this, not just from God, but from wise people who are in our life as well. Proverbs chapter uh, 28, verse 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So we use our time to, to walk with those who are wise. We use our time to avoid those who will be deemed fools. We use our time to ask for wisdom from above. We use our time to seek counsel from the wise. Colossians 4 even goes further to say that each opportunity that we have to speak to somebody else, we can choose to use that time wisely or foolishly. Colossians 4, 5 through 6. 
walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We've talked all through our study in Ephesians how Colossians is a parallel book that has a lot of the same concepts and themes and ideas and theology tied into it. This is another great example. It's the same language, it's the same terminology being used here. Make the best use of your time. How do we do that? Well, when we're interacting with other people, we're consciously thinking, how can I be gracious in my speech? How can I use my time wisely right here to be gracious in my speech as I converse with others? Wisdom is shown in how we proactively prioritize our time. Will we seek wisdom about how to carry out God's will? Or will we remain foolish in our own thinking, thinking that we're always right, thinking that we know best? Or will we proactively seek to walk in wisdom? Number two, wisdom is shown in how we pursue our knowledge of his will. Wisdom is shown in how we pursue a knowledge of his will. We spend time with wise people. We ask for wisdom. We, we ask other people for wisdom. Um, why? Because we're, we're doing so with the motivation to know God's will for our life. To be in obedience to him. It's shown in how we pursue a knowledge of Will. Fools ignore revelation rather than submitting to it. Back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools are those who despise wisdom, who despise instruction, or, or who ignore it. Right? They don't prioritize ways to hear God's word, to understand God's word, and to apply God's word. When we talk about doing the will of God or knowing the will of God, we're saying that uh, the priority for the Christian is to know, to understand, and to do the will of God. That should be our top priority with how we spend our time as a Christian. Now, what we're talking about specifically is the will that he's already given to us. Right? There's all these particular wills that are hard sometimes to discern and understand. Which career should I choose? Uh, which car should I buy? Which house should I purchase? These are things that we don't go to Proverbs or Psalms or Ecclesiastes or Romans to get a direct answer from God about. Now, there's principles there. There's wisdom there. God certainly gives us wise people in our life that help guide our decision-making when it comes to careers and cars and houses. But we're specifically talking about the will of God that's already been given to us. It's very clear in His we want to understand what the Bible calls us to pursue, what the Bible calls us to avoid. We want to use our time to seek the will of God and how he would have us live our life. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. This goes back to what Paul's saying here about being careful with our walk, being intentional, looking closely and carefully, wisely, how we are living our life. Because the simple does everything. The prudent man gives thoughts to his death. The wise is the cautious. The fool is the one who is reckless and careless. Use your time to seek the will of God and how he would have you live your life. Use your time to hear the will of God and respond by doing the will of God. This goes back to Matthew chapter 7, 
the, the wise man who built his house on the rock, right? So it's the wise man and the foolish man. They both hear God's word. One responds by doing the will of God, and he is pictured as a man who builds his house on the rock. The other is one who is pictured as building his house on the sand because he hears the word of God and he does nothing with it. He doesn't try to understand it. He doesn't try to apply it, right? The fool would be the individual who sits uh, sits through service after service and listens to sermon after sermon and, and never really does anything with it. Never is really impacted by it, right? Um, the wise individual is one who comes and hears the word of God and says, I need to do what I'm hearing. Paul says, be careful to walk wisely. Wisdom is always depicted in Scripture as one who hears the word of God and does the word of God, applies the word of God, seeks to know it, seeks to understand it, seeks to follow through with it. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. If we don't do this, our time will be spent towards evil. It will deteriorate. It will be unproductive. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we transition into point number two. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Number two here is be controlled by the Spirit. He makes this correlation or this comparison and even contrast between what it looks like to be controlled by alcohol or to be controlled by the Spirit. The idea being here is that a wise person not intoxicated and controlled by alcohol or anything else that would stunt his judgment, but is instead filled with the Spirit. A wise person is not intoxicated or controlled by alcohol or any other addictive thing that this world would offer to us that would drive us uh, to live uh, in an uncontrolled type of state with our judgment being stunted. Instead, a wise person is one who is filled with the Spirit. So there's two ideas here that I want to draw our attention to. Number one, Resist being out of control by alcohol or anything else that would temporarily stunt your judgment. Resist being out of control by alcohol or anything else that would temporarily stunt your judgment. See, a wise person recognizes the temporary relief that things in this world can offer. A wise person recognizes the temporary relief that the things in this world can Drunkenness would be pictured as a waste of time here. Why? Because when you're in a state of drunkenness, whatever you're doing with your time, you're probably not even going to fully remember. Right? I remember um, 2006, me, Adam McLeod, and Jen went to a UGA Virginia Tech bowl game, Chick-fil-A bowl game. Right? So we had tickets, my dad took us, and we're getting excited about the game. We come into the stadium, and we sit down, and we see this girl come in with her set of friends. And, I mean, she's, she's gone. Like she, is, she has been drinking for a long time, right? And so they're, they're kind of, like, pulling her up to her seat and kind of prop her in her seat. And then she's just going to be there for the rest of the game. And we kind of made the comment. We're like, she's not going to remember any of this. Like, like, this is, like, an exciting game. Like, she's probably been so excited about it, and she's put herself in a position where – she won't remember any of this tomorrow, right? Like, this is wasted time and wasted money because the tickets weren't cheap, and she's not going to remember anything about tomorrow, right? A wise person recognizes this is temporary relief when we go to something like alcohol. It's a waste of time because it's forgetful time. 
Now, we're not going to spend time talking about alcohol and the role that it plays in the life of a Christian and, and how, uh, how a Christian should use it. Clearly, this is a passage that can be used to talk about how the abuse of alcohol is a sin. Why? Because it causes people to lose control. Uh, they can't follow through on the commands that we're even talking about here because they are put in a state where they, they really can't remember or really even function at a high state, right? Proverbs 23, 29-35, you could read, see some of the dangers of drunkenness. Um, you certainly can't use your words intentionally. You can't think rationally. You can't serve. Most of the time you're having to be served when you're in that type of a state, right? Uh, drunkenness opens the door for darkness. Uh, rarely do you find somebody in a drunken state where Christian-type things are happening around them and by them, right? No, it opens the door for dark things to take place, and it should be avoided, right? It shouldn't even be named amongst us. We resist being out of control, but really the point that Paul's driving us to is to see what we should be under control by. That's submitting to being under control by the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is better than the hard drink. Right? The world says that the hard drink offers us joy, it offers us escape, it offers us pleasure. But through the Holy Spirit, we find the joy that we long for, and we actually get to Christian knows a better way than by wine of being lifted above the depressive and joyless monotony of life. Let's say that again. The Christian knows a better way than by wine of being lifted above the depressive and joyless monotony of life. Now, he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, he's not telling us to do some type of conjuring where we ask the Holy Spirit to come and possess us. Right? We're already sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit already indwells us. What we are being told to do is to be filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way where we are walking in the Spirit, walking in alignment with the Spirit, versus yielding to our flesh. I think it's interesting to note, uh, because there's a lot of ideas out there about what it looks like, and some people even try to talk about being filled with the Spirit in a, in a type of drunkenness, right? Like you may have heard about, uh, like you may have heard the phrase like being drunk on the Holy Spirit, which I think is just a, an unhealthy phrase. Because rarely is anything good tied to the concept of drunkenness. Right? So he's not talking about being drunk on the Holy Spirit where you're also out of control. Right? Because when we're drunk on wine, we're completely kind of out of control. Like we're just being driven by the alcohol. We are being driven by the Holy Spirit, but we are being driven in a controlled state. Right? We're being, we are being driven toward purposeful activity when we're filled with the Spirit. And I think it's important to note that the signs of being filled with the Spirit aren't these, um, I, put, I put my notes, note that the evidence of being Spirit-filled are not hyper-emotional responses or actions. Right? Sometimes we, we think, uh, and maybe we're even taught, or maybe we even know people who would kind of press in on us, that being filled with the Spirit leads to these hyper-emotional or um, crazy activity type of settings and those people are filled with the Spirit. What we see instead here is that people who are filled with the Spirit, they sing, they give thanks, and they serve each other. Now these are these are these are hyper spiritual people for sure. Because these are so contrary to our flesh. So contrary to our flesh. But these are things that are available to every Christian, every believer, every 
one who has come to faith in Christ can experience that. Being filled with the Spirit leads to these type of responses. I'm going to give you three of them that I think Paul identifies here. What does it look like to be a Spirit-filled person? The first Spirit-filled person encourages others with their worship. Spirit-filled people encourage others with their worship. It says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The parallel passage in Colossians is found in Colossians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 15. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So, parallel there, the fact that it's being filled with the Spirit, he says being uh, controlled um, or letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And it says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's, it's really, really similar, right? Really similar what he's talking about in Colossians and what he's talking about in Ephesians. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this, and I get uneasy because music's not a big part of my life. Um, I don't I don't necessarily enjoy singing personally. And I read this, and I, and I start to think, okay, how does this look? How does this get applied? And, and my first thought is that, you know, are we supposed to, like, start living out some, like, full-time musical, right? Like, are we supposed to just, in, in the ways that we talk to each other, particularly on a Sunday morning, you show up, and I just start singing songs to you, and sing some songs back to me. Um, I, I've been to musicals uh, and I enjoy musicals. Um, I was listening to Spencer Davis' sermon on this and he kind of shares the same mindset as me. I'm okay with going to the Fox Theater and watching a musical on a live stage. It's weird to me to watch a musical on a TV in my living room. Music just doesn't resonate with me in the same way as it does live with live musicians. It's just kind of like this is weird. They're just kind of going about like everyday life and they're just singing about it and I get bored with it pretty quickly. I don't think, obviously, that Paul's like pushing for a musical type approach to our life. But before we get too far into it, I think if you're like me, we do have to push back against the tendency to think that this is optional. This is, there's a command passage here. Uh, that if we're spirit-filled people, we are to sing we are to be joyful in our expression. And that's to be expressed through song. Okay? So it's not optional as to, eh, I'm not, I'm not really a singer. I don't sing good. We need to dial into the fact that there's two passages specifically that tell us to do this with each other, to sing and to draw attention to who God is through song. Why are we commanded to sing? Why, why is this pushed here by Paul in both of these books? Um, you know, I think it's interesting that our flesh and even the enemy would maybe draw attention to the awkwardness of even what we just did in our service today. The group of people coming into a room, singing songs together. I mean, when, when does that ever happen in any other setting? Or then people talk about heaven and they're like, are we just going to sing for all eternity? Like, I read these passages in Revelation, that sounds like a miserable experience, right? And, and you kind of hear that and you're like, yeah, I guess so. And like, if you'll just pause and think for a minute, like, people pay high-dollar money to go to concerts where they just sit and sing about the most frivolous 
a saint, right? Like we're, we're talking about singing about the greatest and the highest things possible. You go to a country music concert, and you're talking about singing about the most frivolous things, maybe even some of the most immoral things, right? And nobody thinks that's weird at all. Or you go to a football game, and as things get exciting, you are compelled to sing your school's fight song, right? And nobody thinks that's weird, right? Like, we want to criticize, like, Christians go into a room and, like, they sing songs to each other. It's so weird. Like, who does that? Everybody does that, right? People pay money. To, like, it's free to come in here and do that with us, right? Like, you have to pay money to go do these things. Last night at the Tennessee game, they were known for their Rocky Top fight song. Well, things got out of hand in the stadium, and they had to actually remove the band because so much debris was being thrown. But they still wanted their fight song, so they had to pump in the fight song over the PA, and it sounded so weird because every Tennessee game I've ever watched has been live band music, and the crowd is singing it. It sounded so bizarre to hear it like on the radio, basically. But we know settings where this happens, right? We know settings where singing is very much normal and common, and we pay money to be a part of it. And what Paul's saying is, when you as Christians come together, this should be a normal part of your life too. To sing, but why is singing important? Why, why would he tell us to do this? Well, I think uh, the aspect of song helps us to see that God is too great to simply be talked about. He's too great to be talked about. Think about what even compels us to sing. Or maybe what even compels a boy to write a song for a girl. It's the idea that words alone, a letter alone, does not capture the emotions and the feelings Words alone don't get it done. And I think what we're able to accomplish through singing is we are talking about God's greatness, but we are escalating it to a higher level. That, that what I believe about God is far greater than something I can just have a conversation with you about as a topic. Like there are times where I need to express it to the greatest possible extent that I can express it. I put my notes that. Um, As we fill ourselves with the Word, we are inevitably filled with the Spirit and should unashamedly have the impact of the Word and the Spirit spill out in our interactions with others in the most expressive ways possible. Let me say that again. As we fill ourselves with the Word, we are inevitably filled with the Spirit and should unashamedly have the impact of the Word and the Spirit spill out in our interactions with others in the most expressive ways possible. Being filled with the Spirit means being filled with joy that comes from God and overflows in song. You read about this in Acts 16.25 when Paul and his companions are in jail, persecuted for the faith, and they are reflecting upon God's goodness and His grace and His provision and protection, and they can't help but sing in the jail. They can't help but express their joy and contentment in His plans but by singing. I think what's interesting, too, is that you go to that Colossians passage, and what, is, what does Paul tell us in Colossians? He says, let the word of God dwell in you deeply or richly. Right? He's saying, hey, take the word of God and drive it into your heart. Right? Like, anchor it into your heart. Plant it into your heart. Dig it deep in there. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do it through the teaching of the word, and then he says, and through the singing of the word. Right? There's two ways that he tells us this. Let the word of God dwell in your hearts deeply or richly, teaching and admonishing one another and singing to one another. 
right? The singing of God's word. And we were able to do that this morning. Tyson does a great job of giving us the variety that's even talked about here. The psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs, right? Psalms that are rooted in God's word from the passages and psalms that we can read about. Older hymns that, that maybe contain language and, and verbiage and vocabulary that's not as familiar to us, but just feels weightier than what we use today. And then even more current songs, right? That, that maybe would fall into the spiritual song type of a classification. Things that are uh, kind of prompted by people today that are being led by the Spirit. Tech does a great job of leading us in those things. Think about the variety of songs that we even sing as to who they're addressed to. Because right? the Bible tells us here that we're to do this towards each other and to the Lord. We sing songs here that sometimes are directed directly to God. We are singing directly to Him. Sometimes we sing songs that are just simply about Him. Other times we sing songs that are really being sung to each other. Right? And that's appropriate and that is because by doing so, we encourage one another and we're driving the word of God deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. Because here's the thing. Most of us are far more compelled to remember songs that we sing than verses that we read or sermons that I preach. Right? Nobody's ever come back to me and said, hey, Adam, I memorized your sermon from last week. Let me say it to you. Right? But a lot of us could sing the songs that Tyson sings and leads us in every week. Right? Both the sermon and the song contain deep, rich theology that our hearts need. And the song gives us an easy way to meditate, to draw upon, to reflect upon. When we're driving in our cars, we get a phone call that devastates us, right? To be able to sing back to God to contentment and contentment. We need that. We need the Word of God to dwell in us richly and deeply like this. Um, so why are we commanded to sing? We, we're, set, we, we're commanded to sing to dig deeply into God's word when we sing, to minister to one another when we sing. We have a responsibility to sing, to encourage one another. Because by doing so, we draw others to him. Psalm 105, 1-2 talks about making known the greatness of God's deeds through song. Drawing other people to his greatness by our singing. We should be heavily involved in the corporate worship of church as both a means of worshiping God and encouraging others. The time and the word, our active way of being passively filled with the Spirit, should lead to a vocal expression of what he's doing in us. Now, I told you, I'm not a singer. Like, I don't classify myself as a good singer. But there's something supernatural and spiritual that happens when you spend time in God's word and then to have an outlet to express the joy and gratitude that you are seeing in God's word through song. You know, before COVID, I used to study at McDonald's, and I would study on Sunday mornings and finish all my sermon prep there, and then I would drive over here. I love doing that here now, because as I get here early and I'm finishing up things and I'm reflecting upon what I'm going to teach, the worship band gets here and begins to sing to me the songs that we're going to sing as a part of our worship service. And I find myself studying and hearing these songs play to where, like, there's times where I just want to stop studying and come in here and sing now. Like, I want to express what I'm feeling now because it's so directly tied to what I'm studying on my own in the Word. That's what should be happening for all of us. But as we study God's Word, it's not just a check a list box. But we are, we are driving that Word deep into our hearts, and that there has to be a way to express what we're feeling as we find our minds illuminated to who God is. Paul says that should be through song. 
And here's what I would say. You may be like me, and you come in here, and you're like, I love listening to everybody else preach. And I'll mouth the words, or I'll, I'll sing quietly. But let me challenge you to get to the point where, where you practice at this, and you push yourself to being a, a, an active part of what we're doing in this not to encourage the fans really, but it is an encouragement to me. I mean, there's, to me, and I've heard people say this before, when I'm in a setting where people are just unashamedly singing as loud as they can and worshiping our Heavenly Father, it encourages my soul. It encourages my soul. I know, I know that uh, when I go to other, when I go to uh, like Snowbird, I get to sit in there and watch kids sing in the summer camp setting or I go to their church service and I love to be in another setting where I see other believers worshiping like we do, like, like singing and expressing what God is doing in their life. And I think all of us need to be pushing ourselves to be a part of that. Be an active part where we see that we're supposed to be a part of this singing and encouraging each other with our words. And if you have a hard time doing that, let me encourage you to drive deeper into God's word because that's the natural expression of read the Psalms, I mean, that's what's happening. They're, they're driven deep into God's word and his character and his attributes, and they can't help but sing about it. can't help but sing about it. A fearful person is also finding reasons to give thanks in all things. You've got to hurry. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a spirit-filled person finds reasons to give thanks. He looks to a different source than the world for his joy and for his peace. He has a radical new spirit of gratitude that keeps him thanking God for being God. Let me, let me read these few verses. I know we're going to be overtime, but I'm just not overtime. Um, Psalms 4. Verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, may we dwell in safety. What a beautiful, I don't know how to sing that, but what a beautiful song. There are many who say, who's going to show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have in their grain and wine amount. Meaning, the best this world can offer me. Man, the joy that comes from the best of this world, it pales in comparison to the joy that you give to my heart. I lie down and sleep at night because you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Why? Why do we dwell in safety? Why do we feel like we can, we can turn everything over to him and find joy? Because I think what Job says in Job 19 is so important. As he's Traveling through his trials and difficulties, look what he says in verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And I reminded you at our 10-year anniversary, part of the reason that we built this church and established this church and planted this church is we wanted to be a corporate body of believers who were constantly thinking about the fact that Jesus is king. Right? We didn't want to just be a place where we could fill your head with knowledge and maps and theories about revelation and other end time type stuff. We wanted to be a place where we could continue to remind you that our Redeemer lives and that he's standing on the earth. You're going to make all things right. So no matter how difficult things may be right now, the fact of the matter is, is that our Redeemer still lives and he's still coming back. He's going to fix all of it. 
statistic, all of it, so I can dwell in safety at night. I can sleep in safety at night because he gives me more joy in my heart than anything this world can give me. And so we thank him for being God. And that's how we can thank him in all circumstances. We don't thank him for the bad things. Right? Like, what are we for those people? We don't, we don't thank him for the trials. We thank him for being God. Right? We don't have to come up with some weird, morbid way of being thankful for bad stuff. God hates the bad stuff. But he's God in the midst of the bad stuff. And we can thank him for being God. In the midst of it. And then lastly, spiritual person submits to serve. And we actually will just stop there because that leads into the next section about husbands and wives and children and parents and bosses and employees. But we'll just talk about the fact that a spiritual person submits to serve and the details are in this verse. The next section of Christianity. Again, it is to remember every Christian can be spirit-filled in a way that directly impacts their daily walk and interaction with people. If we're being spirit-filled, we are the type of people thankful people, we're not complaining people, lifts other people up to, and then we're submitting ourselves to serve others. That's by being spirit. So our application for today. Two things. Number one, are you communing with the spirit through the word and allowing that time to feed you and talk to you? Are you communing with the spirit through the word and allowing that time to I can sing as loud as I want to. It only breaks the instrument that you've got. Um, but man, let me encourage you. Because there was a point in time in life where I stood and, 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 and wouldn't participate because I was embarrassed about complaining. But then the deeper I got into God's word, it was like, I'm just going to have to not care because I still can't sing like I should. So, man, drive yourself into God's word deeper. And I guarantee you it will lead to a desire to have that time feed you. Are you known more for your gratitude or your negative attitude? Are you finding ways to give thanks in all situations? Then number three, are you embracing God's will, the grateful part, that you are free to serve rather than complain? Again, we get to that last bit of application for today. Let me pray for us. God, we, we thank you and praise you for your word. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who fills us, empowers us to walk according to your spirit and not according God, I pray that we would see the correlation, that we can be filled with your spirit more and more. We can drink upon your spirit more and more. Just like we were to drink alcohol uh, to get drunk, we would need a lot of it to get drunk. God, help us to see that in order to be spirit-filled, to walk in such a way like you were describing here, we need a lot of the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that we would be intentional with our time. We would use it wisely. That we would seek to know you, to know your will by spending time with you in your word. God, I pray that that would culminate with a desire to express that time in your word with an attitude of worship. We are compelled to sing. We are compelled to rejoice, both to you and as a means of encouraging others. God, as we have a chance right now to do these things, God, I pray that you would, you would fill our hearts with your spirit. We would reflect upon our gratitude and our thanksgiving to you in the ways that we can. God, God help us as we leave today to be thankful that you are God. 
Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.